non-rock a boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. She <laughs> hung up on me. Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, yeah. I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Some classes of the human family that are black, uncouth, uncomely, disagreeable, and low in their habits, wild, and seemingly deprived of nearly all the blessings of the intelligence that is generally bestowed upon mankind. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would... Oh, I'll make sure I don't ruin that there. This is, this is too important to blow it up. Okay. Cain slew his brother. Cain might have been killed, and that would have put a termination to that line of human beings. This was not to be, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which is the flat nose and black skin. That, of course, is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably racist and evil, not from God. And that, of course, is the prophet of Mormonism, President Brigham Young. Good old Brigham. Good old Briggy. Briggy, uh, Briggy, Briggy. Can't you see? Brigham Young uh, was uh, extraordinarily racist and uh, an evil, evil, disgusting man. And, of course, he taught all kinds of um, uh, horrible things about God himself, uh, from Adam God to the doctrine of uh, polygamy for exaltation, becoming a god and goddess of your own planet one day. Uh, But that, of course, is what uh, uh, Brigham Young said about black people. There is more than that, but we won't won't, um, waste your time or fill your head with that nonsense anymore i am uh, pastor jeff durbin you are now watching apologia radio live or listening to it on itunes or any other podcatcher uh, this is the gospel heard around the world and uh, they call me the ninja that is luke the bear right there what up luke the bear pastor luke pearson discipleship pastor at apologia church and that over there is uh, zach attack hey hey Zachary, uh, Zachary Conover, Director of Communications for End Abortion Now. You guys can get linked up with End Abortion Now at endabortionnow.com. Join the over 250 churches across the United States that are now engaged in the gospel mission uh, coming against the evil of abortion in our day. And so hook Amen. up with Zach to do that. And I want to encourage you all to give a big praise to God, a thanks to God for what he's doing right now with End Abortion Now. Many of you all supported us and have provided for us on this mission the last two years. I encourage you to join with us again for next year. Um, But uh, we have just things we never anticipated happening, happening right now with End Abortion Now. We are in the midst right now of planning uh, a conference 
in Australia, in Brisbane, also in Sydney, and then also in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, by the end of 2018, by the grace and mercy of God, through his work, there are Christians now in uh, internationally who are fighting mm. this mission under the same banner, end abortion now, no more incrementalism, no more neutrality in this fight, gospel-centered approach to fighting against abortion in our cultures. You have it happening in Ireland now, it's happening in Canada, the entire United States, uh, by the way, to mention you, got word from Brazil last night wow. that they want us to connect with them down there. Wow. Um, and Australia and New Zealand, by the end of 2018, praise God wouldn't be possible without all of you who participated with us. This ministry isn't about us. It doesn't center around us. It's about Jesus. It's about God's word and his gospel. And it's only made possible through our working together. So whether you are sitting behind this desk, whether you're one of the churches out fighting this in this mission, or whether you are somebody who in 2018 in January, you pushed a button and you sent funds to Apologia Church to fight this mission, you are in this with us. And right. it's, it's because of you that this is happening. That is Joy the Girl. Hello. She is one of the Sheologians. You guys can go and check them out. They're at ApologiaStudios.com. They have a, have a link there for you for you to see all their uh, episodes. You can also go to Sheologians.com mm -hmm. and you can get all their episodes there. Her and Summer are doing Sheologians, doing a banging job. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> a real bang out job there, Joy. <laughs> it's amazing. Actually, it really is good. It's my favorite uh one of my other favorite podcasts, so it's probably one of the only ones I, I actually listen to. They be, um, they be mobbing. Yeah, they, they're mobbing for I sure. I feel like the word, you know, she, sheos, that's that's a Greek word, right? Sheos, logos, sheologian. Uh, well, you'd be amazed how many people see the name, and the only thing they get out of it is sheol. Yes. She'll be coming it's around the mountain. Sheologians. <laughs> You're talking about the grave? Yeah. Well, the it's, 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 it's an podcast obvious, about the grave? Like, it's an obvious play on the word theologians, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> but, like, it's just one one letter difference. Yeah. But for some reason, pe some people read it and they, all they can see is Sheol. Yeah. We just talk about death on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pun, punny jokes that are so clever, what do you call a bee <laughs> that comes from America? A USB. <laughs> a USB. I knew you'd love this. Oh, you yes. missed school yesterday. Oh, no. To tell you the truth, I didn't really miss it. That's not that's not fantastic, I but didn't get that one very decent. Well. Okay. Can February March? No, but April, April May. May. That's a good one. That's good. That's good. I like it. Okay. Alright, so that's a good Are one. You I the first time I heard it. Uh, that one's not so funny. See, he's, he's having to look him up. Ours has come naturally. Yes. Yeah, that's what do okay. You, what do you call a bear with no ears? B. <laughs> good. Get it? No oh, ears. Yeah, it's good. good, yeah. It's yeah. All right, good. That's good. clever. Well, well done. That's a clever one. Yeah. What do you guys think in the comments? I'm sure you're already... I, I'm sure the comments are already beginning People and it has nothing typing, to do... Like, this is horrible. It has nothing to do... Hold on. Oh, this is a good one, actually. No, no one It has nothing cares. to do with the show itself. Right now, I guarantee you, there's probably already comments about Flat Earth yeah, and flat other Earth. things. Like, hey, by the way, did you hear about that Flat Piercings. Earth? Yes. Did yes. you hear yeah. about that yeah. Flat Earth? What do you, got, what do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? Irrelevant. <laughs> you know, that's a good one. That's, that's good. That, I can feel like I found that one like on a popsicle stick as a kid or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you did. So, um, welcome to Apologia Radio, everybody. Hey, important episode today. Sorry we're a little bit delayed. We had some technical issues starting up today, but of course we have wonderful staff, Daniel and Carmen, got everything fixed up, so now you're able to watch Apologia Radio right now live across them. Internets, encourage you all to please share this episode because... This episode, we are going to respond to some of the comments uh, from Kwaku, 
one of the three Mormons that joined us uh, right here in Joy's seat uh, last week. Dr. White and I talked with Kwaku. Very lively discussion, long discussion, about two hours, and touched on some important subjects. Didn't get really to dig in in the way we would have liked to, uh, really sticking to scripture and unpacking scripture. Um, I think many of you guys recognize it was a difficult conversation to listen to because of a lot of the interruptions and everything else. Mm. But we thought it would be good to actually dissect an important element of that conversation. Kwaku misrepresented the Trinity. Uh, in his episode where he talked about the Trinity on the three Mormons, uh, they both misrepresented it uh, uh, very, very badly. And uh, on the episode with us, Quaco demonstrated that he really did not have an understanding of the historic doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, he misrepresented it. He didn't show really any understanding of it when he asked the question. The, the thing I found most compelling, we may get to it here, was where he started asking questions about the Trinity. And he asked uh, something about whether before the New Testament, God was a duality or still a trinity. Right. So really wondering if before the New Testament, if God was only two persons or something to that effect. Yeah. Very. When we, when we say he was eternally existent as the three persons, right. yes. that's what we mean. Yes. Yeah. So just uh, just difficult uh, to, to listen to and to hear the misrepresentations. But we thought it'd be good to actually handle some of those comments and uh, and go through those here on the show. Uh, before we start, anything you guys want to 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 say about last week's episode? I don't think so. I mean, it, it kind of spoke for itself, like you said, and what it was with the interruptions and and all of the misrepresentations. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what else you could say about it. Yeah, just do it. So hey, um, a popular freight, uh, saying right now, just do it. Um, right. Yeah. All that's kinds all of controversy over. around that. <laughs> so we are gonna uh, dissect some of them, guys. We'll try to do this in as quick, uh, quickly, a uh, fashion, quick a fashion as we can. Uh, so just kind of bear with us. So let's start with um, let's let's go here. Uh, let's let's lay this down here. This is from Kwaku's, um testimony. He seemed really shocked that Dr. White at one point said that he he listened to his testimony and he sort of like bit back. Like how could you know me? We only met today. It's like well your testimony's up online for the world to see. Uh, this is labeled Why I Joined the Mormon Church. It's Kwaku's story from the three Mormons, published on February 24th, 2017. I just wanted to play this snippet here because it's relevant to one of the comments he made. I figured I'd lay it down ahead of time. So Dr. White and I had seen this before the episode itself. Kwaku, of course, is a Mormon convert. He converted from uh, the Methodist church hmm. uh, in Texas. Hmm. And um, so I would... We have their own issues. I, I would, I would want to talk about that as, as some, some critical theological points. But be that as it may, he converted at the age of 15, I believe, from the Methodist church. And if you listen to his 19-minute testimony online, you'll see that it's pretty clear from that testimony that he tells us he doesn't he, the church that he went to didn't have really solid doctrinal instruction they weren't very serious about these things mm -hmm. and i'm going to go ahead and play that right here for you guys you know what i believe i start talking about mormons with some of the people in my methodist church and we go to this big youth camp and in the protestant world you go to these big youth camps a lot it's always like a stadium full of people or or a big big gym full of people and they have a band and they have a youth pastor we weren't learning about prophets we weren't learning about the atonement we weren't learning about a lot of things. A lot of it was just, I like to call it meme Christianity, where we were high schoolers who were doing things that weren't good, and then we would see it like some kind of meme or a sermon about, hey, God loves you no matter what. And we're like, I love Jesus. I'm gonna go back to smoking weed and having sex. Like that's really was the mentality. I know that's really messed up, but that's the way it was. Um, so I was sitting there and I was in this wonderful conference and I just didn't really buy a lot of it. <laughs> I didn't believe that some guy 
some some pastor with no authority. It's it's not like an angel came and told him and like like you know or God was like, hey, you can preach my word. He was just some guy who signed up to do it. And and who knows if he's right? He was just spewing his opinion out. And a lot of it was good, but it was still his opinion. There was no way to know if it was completely true. And I knew that it wasn't completely true because I looked at the fruits and the fruits weren't that good. So. I began praying about the Book of Mormon. So there you go. So uh, yeah, two points there. I think the beginning portion there is most relevant to what we're going to be playing here. Uh, and this isn't the only spot in this testimony that he talks about uh, the nature of his Christian upbringing. But uh, talking about the nature of, of where he was at, the community that he, w that he was a part of, doctrinal training was not a big part of that, um, mm -hmm. that, that group he was with. I mean, no talking about the atonement. Those sorts of things it just wasn't what they they did. He calls it meme Christianity, you know, which unfortunately is often the case. Yeah. So yeah, true. So when 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 Dr. White pointed out to him that you know he he didn't really have a background to justify all these claims he was making in terms of his understanding of the Trinity and all these different things, it's from his own words, his own testimony is that not that wasn't the nature of the conversations that he was in and uh, his doctrinal instruction and training. I mean, if you the way he describes the group he was a part of is um, uh, pretty awful, a mm -hmm. pretty awful state. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were part of a youth group where there wasn't solid doctrinal instruction coming and mm -hmm. people were just living the lives however they pleased. Mm. We would also be condemning that right along yep. so, right yeah, exactly. along you, Quaku, uh, and um, should have obviously left that church, um, <laughs> but certainly not have left it for a non-Christian cult. Um, that would that was I think the wrong decision. So um, that, that those are his own words. I want to make sure we have that on record there because that does come up here. So I'm going to play a little bit here. We'll just sort of just tell me to stop, guys. We'll stop. This is uh, Quaku talking with Dr. White and I on last week's episode to teach it in that sense, but it is never ever been claimed this is the exact way it is period that's how it is that's not the reality however i would like to push back though because this idea that god being you know a man even an exalted man uh if we if we do read the bible we do see how he's a man okay I'd we love see to how see he's this. a man yeah, I'd love to please see demonstrate it. it okay um and i think we also see that okay just quickly there um he doesn't um, he made a lot of claims last week like that, yeah. um, that right. because that's how it happened, because that's what the because that's what it says, or because the Bible says that God is a man. Um, or the it, Bible doesn't teach us anywhere, you right, know, exactly. and it, those kind of broad sweeping yes. claims. So the difficulty here is that when you read the Old Testament and you have descriptions that are anthropomorphic descriptions or um, phenomenal, phenomenological languages, wow, those are two words hard to say. Phenomenological. Phenomenological language. Uh, you have... De, wording in scripture you have of course metaphor you have all kinds of instances where you have to say let's take the language and let's say what does the bible teach here so of course you have um instances in scripture um where you have the the christophanies where jesus appears right. in the old testament jesus right. appears in the old testament and he shows up he interacts with God's people, and uh, that cannot be missed. You see that the uh, Christophany in the Old Testament where Jesus is actually worshipped. They're monotheists. They believe there's only one God, but God shows up and they worship him. And that's, of course, the pre-incarnate Christ. How do you know that it's a pre-incarnate Christ? Because John chapter 1 tells you no mm -hmm. one has seen God at any time. Now, you're either going to believe that or you're not going to believe that. An inspired apostle, the apostle John, Kwaku uh, quoted from John and said, Jesus said, I am. So apparently he believes John is reliable and can be trusted because he quotes from the Apostle John. Well, that same Apostle John said, 
said that no one has seen God at any time. God who? God the Father. That's the context, John chapter one. The only begotten God, Jesus, the unique and one of a kind God, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. So, of course, in the Old Testament, all the examples of uh, speaking to God face to face as one speaks to his friend, uh, that, of course, describes everything you need to understand about that. Are we talking about face to face as in terms of two human faces interacting with each other or as a man speaks to his friend. The description is right there. So you also have instances in the Old Testament where God uses the phenomenological language or anthropomorphic language and you have language like, for example, God covering you in the shadow of his wings. You have the Bible saying things like our God is a consuming fire. Are we going to read all those texts and say that God is a blazing furnace? Mm. Or are we going to read those texts and say that God has feathers? What kind of feathers does God have? Are we going to understand it in the context that it's given. And so when we look in the Old Testament, no, you cannot find any instances where God the Father is described as a man, that God has a physical body of flesh and bone as tangible right. as man's. No. Uh, you have to read the Bible in its context with the language, and I'm not saying the language is meaningless. And that's the thing that got me about Kwaku, is that he would oftentimes, well, that's, that's poetic, meaning that's meaningless. I can right. wave my hand at that. That's not what I'm saying when I say something is poetic or it's hyperbole or metaphor. I'm saying that it has real meaning, but God uses these different forms of language to communicate his message to us. And what you do not see in the Old Testament is that God the Father has a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's, or that God was once a man who lived on another planet one day and exalted to become a God one day. You cannot find that, will not find that. And um, of course, in the Old Testament, where you do see the Christophanies or God showing up, walking in the garden, or interacting with Abraham on the Mount, on Mount Moriah, you have God, of course, showing up. Hmm. Doesn't mean that God was a man at all. And you, of course, have instances that Christians use for... This is the interesting thing. I, I said this, and I don't think you caught it. The instances from the Old Testament where you have God showing up and are interacting with his people, the pre-incarnate Christ, I use those very same verses to demonstrate the triune nature of God exactly. and the pre-existent nature of Jesus Christ, that he always existed as God. He doesn't become God. And that was also another interesting thing about Kwaku when I was talking about Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, as was he God then? He said, yeah, he was God then. That's interesting because in the case of Jesus and Mormon thought, their Jesus Really, it's mm. confusing how you can say he was God before the incarnation and the resurrection. He hadn't gone through yeah. his earthly ministry and done all those works and exalted, been exalted to become a God one right. day. Also, it's interesting mm. if you take Brigham Young's approach to this discussion. Brigham Young said that the only men who become gods or even the sons of God are those who enter into polygamy. Right. So polygamy is that necessary portion of becoming a God or goddess one day. So the question is, was Jesus a polygamist in the uh, pre-existence where he was a spirit offspring? of Heavenly Father, mm. one of his goddess wives, and Lucifer and all of us? Was Jesus a polygamist then? Or do you go with the early Mormon apostles and prophets where they taught that Jesus actually married the Marys and Martha, and, and that Jesus was a polygamist in his earthly ministry? So there's all these problems with that. But yeah. be that as it may, let me go ahead and play some more. Um, him being a man is more clearly supported than him being a Trinitarian spirit, which is what, what my wonderful evangelical friends believe, but that... It, it, that's in, in my opinion. I mean this with kindness. That's not scriptural. That's that's a later idea. That's a mathematically impossible idea. It's just not true, and it can't be demonstrated with scripture. Uh, I was actually reading um, a wonderful uh, uh, Stanford article last night about the Trinity, and says, yeah, I mean it isn't 
it isn't demonstrated in, in the New Testament or the Old Testament Easily clearly done. at all. <laughs> yeah. Has been done for yeah, hundreds yeah. of years. No, yeah. no, it hasn't. Two millennia. That's why the debate's still going. It hasn't been. Let me ask one question. Let me ask you one question. Please name the book on your shelf written by a Christian in history on the Trinity, defending the Trinity. Name one book on your shelf. Name one read. book on my shelf. Um, uh, I, I actually, offered to send it to you and, and, well, and, and I, I, well, fun fact, I would have taken it. I would have taken if it. I can just point this mm -hmm. out to you, um, I think the reason you're struggling for the name of a book is you made another audacious claim again that Trinitarian doctrine is not scriptural. It's 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 false. It can't be shown from the Bible. And uh, I just wanted to say this humbly to you. I'm I mean, making I, sense oh, of God oh, by Timothy Keller, by the way, just, for for a nice well, Protestant no, no, books. Just, just in terms. Um, no, that's that's certainly not what we'd be aiming at there. My point in bringing this up, he says that it can't be demonstrated from Scripture, and the debate's still raging. Uh, no, sir, it is it is it is not. Of course, false teaching existed in the first century itself. You have the apostles dealing with false teaching in their day. Does that mean the apostles weren't clear, and the debate was raging on with the Gnostics because it just was undecided doctrine? No, you have false teaching everywhere. False teaching very much codified in say the Mormon uh, fellowship, Mormon communion. And so the Bible teaches there is only one eternal God, right. only one God by nature. And yes, the Bible does teach from Jesus' own lips. He says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit, okay? And if you want a definition of from, from Jesus, now this is important. If you want a definition from the Lord Jesus about what that means, because he was asking, what do you mean by spirit? And, right. and Dr. White said non-corporeal. I said, well, immaterial. And Jesus, I think, is the authority on what spirit is. And so when Jesus says God is spirit, we have to ask, well, did Jesus ever describe what spirit is? Is, what it's like. Yes. Well, at the uh, resurrection, when Jesus appears in the upper room or in the room with, with Thomas, um, Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not going to believe unless he puts his finger into his, his side and into the holes in his hands. And uh, Jesus says to him, uh, it's, it's I myself. He says, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bone right. Right. as you see me have. That's what Jesus says to Thomas when he says, I want to touch his physical body and put my finger in those nail prints. I want to make sure I touch it myself. Jesus says, spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. And mm. Jesus himself said in John chapter four that God is spirit. So the Bible teaches that God is spirit. God is eternal from eternity into eternity. Psalm chapter 90 verse two, it teaches that the father is called God, the son is called God, and the Holy Spirit is called God. Now that's three distinct persons and the Bible describes them as co-equal, as co-eternal. And John chapter one was one of the, and I want to hear you guys have to say about this. This is what, what really was interesting to me. When Dr. White very graciously, very humbly went through John chapter one, with Kwaku, he opened up the text, he walked through a few texts in John chapter 1, Kwaku acted bewildered by Dr. White's description of John chapter 1, and it wasn't complicated, it was very, very clear and mm. precise, it was not uh, something that was over everybody's heads, he was demonstrating the pre-existent nature of Jesus, that he existed eternally alongside the Father, and arche ein halagos, kai halagos ein prostom theon, kai theos ein halagos, and arche ein halagos means as far back as you want to go. 
Without any reference point to stopping, the word was already there, and he was prostantheon, face to face, toward the Father. He was in intimate relationship and fellowship with the Father from all eternity, and archaean halagos. So Jesus was always existent with the Father, an intimate relationship, and he was God. Dr. White demonstrated that. Kwaku acted completely bewildered. He said, nobody will understand what you just said. I can, I'm 100% positive. No one can understand what uh. you just said. I found that compelling that he couldn't just grasp that one point. So, uh, hmm. well, and, and he ahead. has, sir. He has to. They would. They would have to say, um, you know, of this earth, essentially. Right. But even then, that's still, like you mentioned earlier, that doesn't comport with their view of God. So, so Jesus and Heavenly Father existed co-equally as separate gods from eternity. You know, if right. they try to apply that to that verse. It still doesn't make sense no. within their worldview. No, it, it can't work because it's a convoluted, contradictory, unbiblical system. So again, the Bible teaches only one God by nature, eternal, from all eternity into all eternity. The Father, God is described as the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is described as the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So the Bible says one God, Father is called God, Son is called God, the Holy Spirit is called God, and yet the Bible always makes a distinction, proper distinction, from Genesis to Revelation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is never a time in Scripture where you'll see the persons confused and you see that distinction, three eternal, co-equal persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet one God, one substance, one essence, one God by nature. That's what the Bible teaches, and by the way, as an aside, that's what, of course, the Christian Church is always taught for 2,000 years. Have there been heresies? Have there been false teachings? Yes, all the way into the pages of the New Testament you see heresies and false teachings being dealt with. Does that mean that the Christian church was unclear or muddy on this issue? No. What took place is God allowed heretics to rise up in the early centuries of the church. The church unified together. They came against those heresies with the Word of God, and they actually gave creeds and confessions to respond to false teachings that were coming up. But those creeds and confessions were based upon the text of the Bible. They were rooted in Scripture. And so that's, that's I think... clearly where they invented the Trinity. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody just commented and said, does the woman speak? Oh, do you... Do you uh, she talks all yes. the time. <laughs> she, she has an entire Very show well. where Very she well, talks actually. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think that there's... There, I think there... I do think there's a little bit of confusion. There, There is the topic of what is the held belief of Trinitarians and do I agree with it? Yes. So I think there was a problem separating those two things. Cause it's, it, it is one thing to say, like I disagree with Trinitarianism and it's another thing to say, no, that's not what the church has been teaching all this time. Right. And then it's another thing entirely to say it to James White. Um, <laughs> not that I'm, a, not that I'm Dr. White's apologist by any means, but he he knows this he's done a little bit of study uh, right yes um and so i do think that there i think there was a little bit of a a disconnect there um like those aren't one topic they're mm -hmm. two separate things you can absolutely disagree but if you have a scholar telling you that no this is this is what we claim to believe mm -hmm. then that's a 
a separate issue in and of itself. Right. Also, Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think the issue he brings up there about mathematics is mathematically impossible. No, it's not. Not in any way. Claiming so doesn't make it so, Kwaku, and it is not mathematically impossible. By the way, I would just say that there is a great discussion to be had here in terms of mathematics itself. Is it possible, just apart from the biblical yeah. revelation <laughs> right. and the triune, the triune nature yeah. of yeah. God himself, I believe that the Bible provides the foundation for mathematics, arithmetic, I mean, period. And I do not believe that you can get that foundation from Mormonism that teaches a materialistic view of the universe that even spirit is ma is material in nature. Um, you do not have a basis in Mormonism to have immaterial, unchanging, transcendent laws like laws of logic or laws of arithmetic. And so I think that the Mormon worldview itself militates against arithmetics. Mm. Period. That's a good point. Can't really have it um, because arithmetic the laws of math. What are they? Are they made of matter? Are they immaterial in nature or material in nature? You've got Mormonism that has essentially a materialistic view of the universe. And I don't believe that you can actually justify the laws of mathematics through the Mormon worldview. But again, we're trying to go fast here. In terms of <laughs> a, a, hum a humble a nudge to you, okay? Mm -hmm. not, not a slam, but a nudge to you. When you can't name a single book on your shelf written by a Christian in 2,000 years, and there are countless ones where they've done solid exegesis from the text itself. In context. To, in context to demonstrate, Historical let me just finish the thought, to demonstrate the triune nature of God from the Old and New Testaments, and you make the kinds of claims that you have that it can't be done. Well, I think the reason you feel like it can't be done is because you've never actually even listened to a Christian really defending it. Uh, but I, I imagine you do have books on your shelf Mm -hmm. written by people from the opposite perspective that want to ultimately insert the kinds of things that you're suggesting into the text. So, middle, so you know, uh, Far Eastern studies and those sorts of things. So I, I'll say this. I do. I have Making Sense of God by Timothy Keller. Um, touches on this subject. Um, I'd also like to say I was raised Protestant. So I'm, Which means nothing. Uh, well, according to your own according to your own testimony that I did listen to, you made it pretty clear. Wait, wait! You can't tell me about my own testimony in my I life. We met today. Uh, no. We met today. Uh, did, did you not record? You have did you not record? No, we did. Um, I, yeah, and, and it, I did it, listen to it. It's it's on YouTube in a couple and, places. And um, you made it very very clear that. Uh, Doctrinal studies was not the central aspect of your interest in evangelical Christianity. I don't think that's what I said. Well, um, and, and coming from here, here's what that's exactly what he said. Yeah. I mean, uh, we just played. If you guys are just getting into the live broadcast, when this posts later, uh, just review what he said at the beginning of this episode. We played the clip from Kwaku's own testimony where that is, in fact, what he said throughout his testimony. Uh, he describes his upbringing in Protestantism uh, in ways that are not very helpful uh, or conducive to an understanding of the Trinity. When he says it was meme Christianity and they didn't deal with really th important theological issues and that everyone just went off and smoked weed and had sex afterwards, I'd say that that probably qualifies as not a very good Protestant upbringing. Right. You didn't have theological training. Well, right. and we just know that that is commonplace right. in churches today. Yeah, unfortunately. There, not a it's lot true. of churches are really, really tackling the Trinity. What we, you know, proper exegesis isn't done when we approach the text and we see something that scares us or that we don't understand. And so we go, well, that just can't be true then. Um, that's that's not how the study of anything happens, mm -hmm. really. Um, so again, it's just it. It's not what like 
the the only thing that I, I heard in regards to the Trinity is that it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. So I have to find what makes sense to me. Right. And that is not um, if if you believe that God is sovereign and you believe that God is not a man, that is not how you're supposed to exegete the text, mm-hmm. his word to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I don't want to interrupt, but just want to say when I, I want to make sure I'm clear so no one misunderstands me. When I said, um, he, when he said uh, I was raised Protestant and I said that means nothing. Yeah. What I what I am not saying there is that there aren't solid Protestant churches worldwide. There of are good course, churches yeah. everywhere all over this planet solid 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 well, and churches you regretfully say that means nothing yes that's not yeah. a celebration for that's you that's my any point means. that's my point is that we live in a time 21st century evangelic in evangelism in the west protestantism in the west is in a horrible state and by the way in case you think anything special about that so, so is mormonism <laughs> and, so, and yep. so is catholicism i mean you can name it across the board because of the western mindset regarding truth yeah today mm-hmm. truth today and so when you say to me well i was raised protestant that means nothing to me tell me what that means what kind of training did you have what kind of protestant training did you have because if you were to say to me um i was trained in protestantism in dr white's church growing up i would say oh, that means something because mm. i know what kind of doctrinal training you got yeah. and even part right. of a larger historical context what do we mean when we say protestantism yeah. what are we protesting yeah. And where does that come from? Right. There's a historical meaning that goes all the way back to the Reformation, right. which the same doctrines that came out of that time period um, actually conflict with the views that you hold about yes. man's will yes. and God's predestining power. That's right. That's what the reformers held to, by the way, yeah. was predestination. And, and Augustine and the early church, second century church, and of course, the New Testament itself. I got to just say this quickly. Well, it, and you're using that as a hor- historical context. You're not using it to um, like flash your uh yeah. reform knowledge and how much smarter muscles. you are yeah. than than your opponent that's mm-hmm. not what it was that's not um there's no comment being made on the age of the persons nope. who engaged in this dialogue no nope. not that's Nothing not what's being said nope. when 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 you guys asked him like what who do you have on your bookshelf you were asking him like how what you were you're gauging the the completeness of his knowledge on the That's subject, right. not you weren't making a comment on his age or nope. saying nope. that so he didn't know anything. No, that's, that's critical. I want to just say uh, officially, it's very important. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up because when I brought up the point about what book is on your shelf, what, what I meant by that is when you say the Bible cannot be demonstrated from scripture, you just cannot, it cannot be done. There are 2000 years of Christian exegesis mm-hmm. of the text of scripture and defending mm-hmm. the Christian faith. That is, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this in, in the classical sense, that is asinine. That is asinine to make make that kind of suggestion that for 2,000 years in history that no one's been able to defend this from Scripture, it shows me something that you have not taken the time to try to right. even read on this. Right. Because I'm telling you, there are descriptions, discussions, exegesis on this subject that are so deep and so far, you can't get three pages into it without your head blowing right. up <laughs> with the amount of Scripture and the logical argumentation, the consistent biblical exegesis and historical references. It can, It is just insane. So when someone says, well, it can't be shown it can't be done that's why we're still having the debate that's why i said what do you even have on your shelf to demonstrate that you've even given this a shot because i can tell you right now on my shelf are 
hundreds, if not thousands of pages of Mormon sources. I'm talking about the historic Mormon sources from your own sources and library where I've taken the time as a Christian to understand your worldview and to read these texts and to understand this. I've sacrificed time from my, my family, my work, my hobbies, my joys to make sure that I invest in understanding your perspective so that I might properly represent you. And my point there was to demonstrate that you don't seem to have done that for us mm. right and that's that was the point well, also i was just thinking one uh the methodist church came about about the same time period as mormonism they came out of that same kind of nonsense going up there around in new york you know so that's where we get a lot of our denominations you know from that same revival <laughs> if you will mm-hmm. um so there's that uh but um I, again that's just evidence from him just it's more subjective evidence for the, referring to well they were smoking pot and having sex don't tell me that the kids in the Mormon church aren't doing that. Well, I... Because I, I don't buy it. I didn't... Well, right. let me just say, I moved to Gilbert, Arizona when I was 18 years old. I was still in high school. I was living on my own. And um, at Gilbert High School, I mean, tons yeah. of Mormons at Gilbert oh, yeah. High School. I befriended many of these. I drove people home from school. Right. And I'll tell you right now, the problem is the same. Exactly. In the Mormon church. I can promise you that. Absolutely promise you that. Um, but, but that's not the main source of my argumentation right, the point exactly. there is to say let's get down the brass tacks and let's get to what the bible says let's get to the theological discussion what actually matters um these these claims aren't ultimately helpful say actually the trinity has been something that has been on my mind probably since fifth grade starting at harvest bible church in okay. cypress texas this has been something discussed a lot. i've read a lot about the trinity um then why have you misdefined it yes, consistently that's a question. i don't I think have, i have okay you said that there is one being who's three beings no one i didn't say that you, you did. did on the video. You did. We played it. We played yeah. it more than once. Did I or did Ian say it? No. You guys talk over you, each other. How, yeah. How's anybody? Because I feel like uh, when I look back at my video, my episode with, with about the Trinity, um, I think it represented very well. It's three persons and one God, correct? Uh, do you know what the difference between person and, and being or nature is? Um, well, I know that. was that, not brought up, right? Would you, would you admit I, you didn't? All right, here we go. So that was that was the intro to the discussion. So let's do it. Um, what Mormons believe about the Trinity? Kwaku says this was published about a year ago, December fifth, actually, two thousand and seventeen, uh, is when it was published. So let's go ahead and run through this together and do it cool. as quickly as possible. Hey, three Mormons, why do you talk about the Trinity, huh? Huh? Oh, because you can't, because your, your church is false. Joseph Con Man, LD Dollar Sign Church. <laughs> So, the Trinity and the Godhead. This is a big topic a lot of people have asked us to address. I think we need to really talk about the Trinity because the Blade Trinity <laughs> is one of the best trilogies of all time. Although- I wanted to say, that is horrible. Because mm-hmm. um, that movie, only Blade <laughs> 1, was good. You think so? Oh, uh, no, two, no, no, I'm sorry. I totally disagree. Three Mormons are absolutely wrong. First one's definitely the best. So you can't, you can't, you can't make, do one better than the first one. You're, you disagreeing, Daniel? Yes? Okay, all right. Just, I mean, that's, I <laughs> first mean. First one's definitely the best. You gotta admit that. Yeah, okay. Well, I think Pirates of the Caribbean is a great trilogy. There's no, I know, I, I know the three. No, they're not. There's more. Four and five. You said four, five was good. Oh, are you gonna come no, back? No, 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 five was good. Four was, I enjoyed it, but I recognized that it was bad. But the first three are just synergy, just synergy. Synergy. Okay. 
We're going to talk about real sagas. Synergy. New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I bet you don't even know those are. You don't even know those are. No, I haven't seen Star Trek. Okay. Um, ah! This is something you mentioned a couple days ago. You said the Trinity and Godhead at base level, you know, they seem like the same thing. You just yeah. look at them, you're like, well, what, what's different from Mormons and other churches? Yeah, yeah. You, you got God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. You got God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. So why are they different? Why is there such a discussion online about why they're different? Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that today. A lot of times, people confuse the Trinity with modalism. Mm. And so that's important to make a distinction. Growing up a lot... This was good. I was really Thank glad that he that. actually... Thank you yeah. yeah, don't usually do that. Huh? Very glad that you actually brought this in and you got this kind of right here. Uh, modalism is the doctrine that the persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine revelation, not distinct and coexisting persons in the divine nature, quoting from Google.com. Uh, so I'm <laughs> glad you uh, made this distinction, but this, this is where it falls off. Times I heard this um, before I was LDS. You know, God is kind of like, you know, if you have a cup of water, that's a liquid. But if you freeze it, it's ice. And then if you leave it out forever in the hot sun, it evaporates turns into gas. Just, you know, a lot of people give that. <laughs> so, uh, encourage That's what he in, was told. Yeah, That's what yeah, yeah. Encourage everyone out there who's listening to this right now or watching this right now. Um, very, very important that you never, ever, ever use that example because it is undeniably false and not biblical and yes modalism uh is all over that so uh christian out there if you've heard that and you just sort of picked it up as a child someone told you that and you've just been passing that around please never use that it is absolutely unbiblical and false and just one thing about that too remember bovink and reform dogmatics he makes the very astute observation that anytime you compare the triune god to anything at all your comparison automatically Fall falls flat on its face. So mm -hmm. we should just stop doing that. We should yeah. stop comparing uh, the Trinity to, to yes. any creative thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just right. just give what the Bible says. That's right. all you need. It falls flatter than a flat earth. That's well, right. and it, it, does, it creates this sort of environment where you are attempting to understand something fully in a physical human way when a part of it is that God is not a man. Right. Um, so there are things about him that we will not comprehend in the way that we comprehend things that are here mm -hmm. on this earth. So when right. you do propagate bad examples of modalism, um, it does it. Well, what it does is it creates groups of people, my generation that uh, completely misunderstand what the Trinity is. Yes. Yeah. So don't do that. Don't make the comparisons. Just give what God says about himself. Well, that's more of modalism. Modalism is that you have one being who takes on three separate forms. Yeah. And that's not actually what the Trinity is. Now, a lot of, a lot of Christians believe in modalism, and they call it the Trinity. So mm -hmm. the actual Trinity itself, what yeah. the actual doctrine is, is that you God is three persons in one. So you have God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful together, Three separate beings in one, and that freeze. There you go, right there. So he had, he, he was doing it. okay until the the distinction between beings and persons. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, three beings in one. Um, no, you you got that wrong. And I believe that he said here as before I play that he didn't say that. He said three and one. Yeah, three, three persons and one, but he didn't specify yeah. what that one was. Yeah, and we said I think we said to him that you said three beings. Let me just get back to here. So make sure I get this right here. I don't want to misrepresent him. No, you guys talk over you, each other. How, how's it? <laughs> because story. Let me just finish the thought to demonstrate the story. Let me just finish the thought. Own testimony that I did listen to. You made it pretty clear. Doctrinal studies was not the central aspect of your interest in evangelical Christianity. I don't think that's what I said. Well, um, and, and coming from here, here's what I'll say. Actually, the Trinity has been something that 
It's been on my mind probably since fifth grade, starting at Harvest Bible Church in okay. Cypress, Texas. This has been something discussed a lot. I've read a lot about the Trinity. Um, then why have you misdefined it yes, consistently? That's a I don't think I have. I have. Okay, you said that there is one being who's three beings. No one. I didn't say that. You, you did. did. Yes, you did. Yep. Uh, yes, you did. It's uh, right there uh, in in this uh, your own your own video. We'll go ahead and all all powerful together, three separate beings in one, and that whole thing is what they call God. Yeah. And there you go, Kwaku. So you wanted to know where it was? There, there it is. It's in uh, the first two minutes of your video on what Mormons believe about the Trinity. So but what just, do Mormons believe then? Yes. Yeah, so, so we have three beings. You have the Son, who and the Father and the Spirit, and the Son is not equal to the Father. Mm -hmm. He is subordinate, but he is still, you know, a God, and you have the Holy Spirit, and they work together, and they're the Godhead. So, at face value, you go, those are the same things as the three beings, you're just calling them different things. Mm -hmm. However, so that demonstrates that you have, at least there, and I think on our show, a confusion about being and person. Mm -hmm. And in there, you just tried to make an application to say, well, it seems kind of the same. Three beings, right? As though, as though Christians are believing in three beings. We believe in three persons. Right. One being, one nature, one substance, one essence of God. One eternal God by nature. Three persons. Christians do not believe, have not taught, and the Bible does not teach that there are three beings of God, three persons. We believe that God um, actually had an only begotten son, Jesus yes. Christ, yeah. and that they are separate beings. Mm -hmm. And that, like Jesus Christ, we came to earth as well, and we mm -hmm. can live a mortal life. Just yes. like so my point here, and, and, and continuing this on, is I, I want to point out to you that they have a clear understanding from their perspective, and they're making sure that they're very precise with their language, that they have three beings, three gods, three yes. beings over this earth. And so they know what they're saying, and they're being, being very precise about it. There are, we believe in three beings, mm -hmm. three separate, distinct persons and beings, God. Mm. That's what they believe. Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost is going to confirm to us, you know, that these teachings about God and Jesus Christ are true. Mm -hmm. Three separate entities, three separate beings. Can I challenge you for a second, though? With three different purposes. Isn't that still the Trinity? No, uh, no. <laughs> actually, no. And, and notice, notice. I, I like this the, to hang on to this point here. He says he stresses three separate entities, three separate beings, and Kwaku has such a a little understanding and of of the the historic doctrine of the Trinity that he actually stops him there and says, "Well, isn't that the same as the Trinity?" So by that, he mm -hmm. demonstrates his misunderstanding. Right. right. That, exactly. that, to begin he with, has not understood this doctrine. And the whole point here is is not to run Kwaku through the mud and to say, "See, see." see you don't know what you're talking about but on the, it's it's to demonstrate that you don't know what you're talking about and you speak <laughs> about it publicly with as confidence as with do. confidence yeah. and you pontificate with on your show pretending like you understand what you're talking about and you say things like it cannot be demonstrated no one's been able to do it well the only reason you would think that Kwaku is because you actually haven't studied this perspective from the other side to understand what the Christians for 2,000 years have been teaching about God you have not proof is in your own words and descriptions about what the Trinity is and proof is in your yeah your misrepresentation of what Christians actually teach they're still three separate beings are they not except they have in physical time and space they are different personages yes a lot of times people will say, I believe Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. 
um, because, you know, they believe in the Trinity. Jesus is love, and love is God, and God is love, and love is Jesus. But... At that point, I'm not even sure what's being said. <laughs> Don't understand what the point of, of that was. I've never heard anyone say it like that, so, but, okay, onward. Well, see, to me, in, in, in all due respect, um, that doesn't quite make sense to me, because if God is the three personages, and you're saying that Jesus is God, you're saying that the second part of the three is the encompassing three. Around what? Or not. Yeah, n none of that sounds anything like what Christians have, have taught about the Trinity. And I'll go ahead and just play that again so we can make sure we're understanding the you properly. The second part of the three is, is God. You're saying that the second part of the three is the encompassing three, is the three personages, and you're saying that Jesus is God. You're saying that the second part of the three is the encompassing three. Around 325 AD, you'll see that oh, many is. factions were very diverse, believing yeah. in Christ, but they decided to create their own creeds. So mm -hmm. we see some creedal Christians. Yeah. They take upon themselves the name of Christian, and they decide to make their own um, dogmas or doctrines, listing yeah. out what they believe God to be. Yes. And so you'll see with Constantine and the Nicene Creed, um, you'll see that they'll create that God is part of this trinity, but it is one unit. It's mm -hmm. one person with three purposes. Yeah. Nope. And anybody who's read the Nicene Creed would know, yeah, no, right away. would understand yeah. right away that that is absolutely not what was being said at, in the Nicene Creed. And I, I wonder if they even understand the controversy or know about the controversy that brought about the Nicene Creed, if they know anything about Arius of Alexandria, the Bishop of Alexandria, if they understand at all what was being taught there, because his description there of what was being said at the Ni Nicene Creed is not actually what it and the word Christian is in the New Testament. They were using that term in the New Testament. They right. didn't. He just claimed that they started started using that in three in three twenty five. Right. They were. I mean, that's another thing. I want. I'm glad you yeah. caught that. I wanted to point that out. Christians were uh, first called Christians in Antioch. Right. And it's in, it's in your New Testament. So it wasn't. Um. It wasn't. Uh. Three twenty five when Christians finally took on that name or anything like that at all. So here we go. Um. You'll see that they'll create that God is part of this Trinity, but it is one unit. It's one mm -hmm. person with three purposes. Yeah. And they can separate and they can be each other, but it's still one person. Yeah. And now, oh. this is what I'm going to get. Um, this is muddy important. here. Did you, did you hear Quake? I'm gonna, I want you all to hear Quake Quaku said he didn't misrepresent it. He said that it might have been his friend on the show that did it. If we demonstrated that's not true, he in fact did misrepresent it. But I want you to hear what he, listen to Quaku's response to this very strange description of what historic orthodoxy is. Yeah, and they can separate, and they can be each other, but it's still one person. Yeah, and by the way, uh, yeah, uh. yeah. So they can. It's the same person, but they can separate and then be the same person or something like that. Uh, and then Quaku says yes. So Quaku doesn't correct him. Quaku encourages this very um, fallacious description of what was happening in Nicaea or what the early church taught about the Trinity. Yeah, go ahead. And it, just the convoluted nature of the explanation, too. Maybe this will help a little bit in terms of providing a definitional aspect, maybe that we haven't emphasized yet. But each of the persons in the triune Godhead are not the other. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not right. the Spirit. But all of them are God. So mm -hmm. when you say things like, well, does the second person, Jesus, 
comprise the three then or does he make up the three mm -hmm. right i think there's something that's not being understood yeah. about the trinity in that the persons are not the other mm -hmm. right they're each their own persons but each of them share the one being of god that's right and their descriptions here are, are in a way unitarian where you have one person one god a matter of fact um isn't it interesting at the beginning of the episode he says christians don't believe modalism modalism is not the trinity it's the idea that it's you know one god three modes right but then as his friend here begins to describe what historic orthodoxy is and what christians believe about the trinity as he describes it he describes his a modalism. modalistic yeah. view and Kwaku is saying, yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's what the, uh, and the, and again, I want to stress this. The point here is not to drag Kwaku through the mud here, but to demonstrate that he does not understand what the Bible teaches about the Trinity or what the early church taught. So when he makes claims, audacious claims, like this can't be demonstrated from scripture, no one's been able to do so. It, it's, uh, it needs to be pointed out to you that when you can't even tell us what Christians have taught about the Trinity, um, it, it, be it begs the question of whether you've actually listened to Christians actually defend the Trinity or read what the early church has taught about the triune nature of God. Or read the Nicene Creed itself. itself that they're referring to because it says in that creed that <laughs> yeah. Jesus is of the same essence yes. as the Father. Yeah. That was the point is that Jesus is not a created being like is taught in Mormonism. You're right. That's He's right. actually of the same essence That's as right. the Father. Just to be clear, when this happened, there were no apostles around and Jesus was not around. So this is... Just men kind of doing this. Yeah. This came um, after all the apostles were killed after the New Testament. And what they also did was it, it was a way to kind of um, be able to keep the very clear three, God the Father and the Son, but still not seem polytheistic. Right. So they basically changed the definition of God for them. I can imagine um, them. Hmm. Considering that the Christian tradition has always and everywhere affirmed at every time that there's only one God. That's right. Monotheism. And as much as they want to say, I think they go on to say later in the video that that term wasn't around until later on in history. Mm -hmm. Well, the point is we use words like monotheism, mm -hmm. one God, mm -hmm. to describe what we mean about what the Bible teaches. Just mm -hmm. like Trinity, even though that does not appear in scripture, we are talking about the triune nature. There is three in one. Right. So we use words to describe what we're talking about. And, 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 and they understand this very well, especially in light of the last three weeks in the Mormon church where they've received revelation that uh, they're not to use the word Mormon, the yeah. title Mormon anymore. Right. They understand that the, what, what it means to use titles and to have words that are descriptive of a particular position. They understand quite well what that means. I would also again point to the fact that the word Bible is not in the Bible, right. but they use it copiously mm. and uh but i would point to the fact this is very very important that and it was one thing i didn't get a chance to talk to because it was a lot of crosstalk and everything that was happening when kwaku was here in the studio but he actually was trying to allege that jews pre-christ yeah. ministry right uh, believed in polytheism and <laughs> yeah, the right. rabbis yeah. all know that today like it read Jewish scholarship today all agrees that like you know early Mormonism was polytheistic essentially that's essentially what was being what was being argued for mm -hmm. is that everybody knows now that the early Jews were polytheistic and I would say Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad I would say yeah uh, tell that to the Jew who's saying his morning and evening prayers yeah. every day that I would like to see a, I would like to see a rabbi a, a rabbi who truly is a Jew who believes Judaism is not an atheistic or secularistic rabbi. I like to hear that rabbi say that, yes, the Jews have historically been polytheistic. That is pure ignorance well, of history. And I would say, 
Is it true that in history there were Jews that went off into polytheism? Yeah, it's yep, in our betcha. Bibles. You betcha. It's in our Bibles. And what are they called in the Bible? They're called apostates. apostates. Yeah. And they're called the whore, the harlot who went off and and went off to all the other surrounding nations and adopted all their customs and their beliefs. They are condemned by God. And what is the condemnation? Is that they have left the true and living God, the one who's the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He even says in Isaiah 44, it's his argument. He says, I don't even know of any other gods right and yes so he is addressing their idolatry and their their polytheism but the words monotheism and polytheism have meaning in the context of mormonism monotheism the belief in one true god monotheism jews are monotheistic christians are monotheistic and of course muslims are monotheistic they believe in i'm not saying they're right i'm saying they believe in only right. one true and living god Everybody understands that, but but I agree with Dr. White, and I think it's compelling to think about. Yeah, Mormonism truly is the most polytheistic religion yeah. in the history of mankind. It's, it's got un, to be. It's unending. Yeah, Not it's saying something. An infinite to regression of gods <laughs> and a limitless f move forward in terms of gods and goddesses. It just it's never ending. Right. And the word poly. poly Theism, polytheistic, it comes from the word poly, meaning multiple or many, and theism from theos, meaning God. So you believe in many gods. Whether you worship those gods or not is irrelevant. Yeah. Right. It's the fact that you believe yeah. in many gods, in an astounding number of gods. I mean, one of the Mormon prophets or apostles said that there, is, there, are, there are more gods than there is matter. <sighs> That's insane. Does that even make sense? Yeah. Well, and they believe that the, you know, Genesis 1, the council of the gods, that's let us, it's the council of, yeah. of gods. Um, but I was just going to say quickly, I know you mentioned this earlier, but what, what if you're listening to this, what we're evidencing here, what you're seeing is they are very, very good at just throwing out claims left and right with, you know, nothing, nothing to back it up. Certainly no, no scriptural support. No scripture, not even any... Not even any historical evidence for a lot of these claims. So yeah, yeah I'm bummed that you guys never got to Psalm 82 oh, and the Council of the Gods because yes. if you have God who is the creator of all things Himself saying, "Is there a God besides Me?" Yea, I know not one. I that pretty much puts to bed the idea of a council of deities or gods if God has no knowledge of any other gods at all. Right. So exactly, and uh, Psalm 82. We might as well go ahead and do it now. Yeah, he, for sure. He brought it up, and I said, "Let's do that." We never actually got to unpack it. Uh, this is quoted by Jesus when he, in John chapter 10, is surrounded by unjust judges, <laughs> and that alone should give you the answer as to meaning the meaning of the passage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus quotes from Psalm 82, when Jesus is surrounded by unjust judges who are judging unjustly the Lord of glory himself. Jesus quotes from Psalm 82. Here's the Psalm, Psalm 82. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Um, so here's what's important is when we see the word gods there, the divine counsel, we need to understand that in God's old covenant, God actually decreed that the judges of Israel would rise up and take his place as godly divine judges over the people of Israel. And He's so the God, king of kings. Yeah, God appoints <laughs> them as divine judges to, to judge 
justly using God's law. This Psalm, let me just say this. It's so, so important. If you're quoting Psalm 82 in a positive way, in terms of, I want me in that passage. (laughs) I want me there. I want that to represent me and my future, divine counsel and God's. Let me just say to you right now, it is so important that you remove yourself from this passage because God in this passage isn't speaking well of these unjust judges. He actually says here in the same text, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. This is, and and I love how even Walter Martin addressed this issue in his debate with Van Hale. This is an irony reference where God himself is condemning and mocking the unjust judges of Israel. And from what I understand, and I, I, I just don't have the reference myself, but I, I have looked it up in the past. I believe Talmadge gave commentary on this subject, and he says that this is God mocking the unjust judges of Israel, not saying that you can become God. Oh, we got to find that. Or, yeah. not, or saying that God himself has a surrounding of divine counsel of other legitimate gods. This is God mocking the unjust judges of Israel who were supposed to listen represent God mm-hmm. as a judge on the earth mm. that's what it's about and when you see Jesus quoting from it in John chapter 10 that's exactly the context he's quoting it in and the reason why they wanted to stone him by the way was because he was claiming to be what you say he is not right God eternal and God. they knew exactly what he was saying because yeah. they picked up stones to stone him oh yeah one, one of the things too I think was made claim I, I, it's a long video so I'd have to go back to find out where about Jesus never making himself equal with God really <laughs> really is that why he takes the divine name upon himself ah yeah I am mm-hmm. I am I was I will always be he takes it upon himself is that why when the Jews heard exactly. him they picked up stones to stone, stone him and said that you being a man makest thyself yeah. God yep they knew he was making himself equal with God, and the text says as much that they knew that he was making himself equal with the Father. Wanting to lean away from the pagans at the time so that yeah, they yes. can really establish themselves as a we adorn one God. Yes. Actually, then if we're talking about the Nicene Creed here, this did not really have to do with the issue of trying to move away from polytheism. This had to do with addressing a heretical teaching rising up in the church that created Jesus as a subordinate and second God. And so that was the context of that. It wasn't like they were running away from uh, accusations of polytheism and paganism large scale. So, yeah. so they made the three into one. We really um, focus on the Ten Commandments. We believe in one God. Yes, yeah. yes. So again, just we talked about this in an episode before. Mm-hmm. It is the, the rejection of the Trinity and belief of the Godhead, that the three separate gods is not um, necessarily doesn't make us polytheistic or monotheistic because again, those terms were not biblical. They postate the biblical world. That whole concept postates the biblical world. We're kind of doing our own thing. That whole concept postdates the biblical world. Monotheism postdates the biblical world. Okay, well, if we look in the Old Testament and say Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 35 and 39, it says that God is God alone in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is no other. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, in the Hebrew, uh, Pastor Luke just quoted that, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is Echad, one. 
one Lord, one God. You can look at Isaiah 43.10, before me there was no God formed, neither shall it be after me. Isaiah 44.6, I am the first and I am the last, besides me there is no God. Isaiah 44.8, is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other God. I know not one. We could go on and on and on again. This doesn't, it doesn't, po- these these concepts and words don't post-date the right. biblical world. They come from God's revelation of himself. That's where it comes from. It's within, it's embedded in the revelation itself. Mm -hmm. We're really just doing our own thing. But Ian, do you know what predates the Trinitarianism? It's a word that's called, that is also true. Um, Hold on, one second. (laughs) Aristotle? Um, Socrates? I I think you're thinking... Jesus? Yes, but... uh, Peter? Falafels? Waffles? That is not true. There's a word that's called subordinationism, and it actually predates the, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, we are subordinationists, but I am saying that it does line up a little more with our doctrine that you have what, what Origen called um, deuteros theos, which is secondary God, which is called mm-hmm. Christ. So it's God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit and the Son are subordinate to the Father. Um, there's no specific date, as far as I'm concerned. I might be wrong. Fact check me if when this came to be. Yeah, you are wrong. Um, you are wrong. Subordinationism, first of all, his description so, of subordinationism is not ultimately helpful. And when he talks about that subordinationism predates the doctrine of the Trinity, I would say once again, Kwaku, with respect, you demonstrate that you have not done your homework in this area. Uh, subordinationism is definitely a heretical view, um, and it it's not. The, the, the issue of subordinationism is in what makes it heretical is not just that it's um, that there's a relational subordinationism to God the Father, um, but it has to do historically with their subordinate in nature, that the Son and the Spirit are subordinate in actual nature itself. And so that's really the issue with subordinationism. But of, of course, this is not a discussion that we can get into too deeply with Kwaku because he doesn't understand the context. He doesn't understand the historic. He says we don't really know where it came, what when it started. Yeah, Kwaku, <laughs> if if you spend any time studying the subject, you would understand the the terms, the definitions, where they came from, where the controversies first started. But Kwaku just pontificates and acts like he knows this subject, and he just he just I'm sorry, respectfully does not. Um, right, let's look at some early Trinitarian quotes, shall we? Uh, they're quoting 325 Council of Nicaea. They say um, we can look at Polycarp. Polycarp was. Uh, disciple of uh, the Apostle John. So I'd say he's a fairly reliable source. Uh, Polycarp says, <laughs> uh, Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, he says, O Lord God Almighty, I bless you and glorify you through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom be glory to you with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Glory to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. And Jesus, listen, our eternal and heavenly high priest Mm. eternal and heavenly high priest um justin martyr uh christian apologist uh he says for in the name of god the father and the lord of the universe and of our savior jesus christ and of the holy spirit they then receive the washing with water there's the early christians using all of these terms about Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, together, one God, Ignatius of Antioch. He says, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, by whom and with whom be glory and power to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever. Glory to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father forever. Um, You can't say that 
consistently with the, with the word of God when the Bible teaches there's only one God, unless, of course, the Spirit and the Son uh, are also fully God. Um, he says, um, or let's go Irenaeus. There's so many here, my goodness. Irenaeus, um, 115 to 190. The church, through, uh, though dispersed throughout the whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith, one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and in one Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophets and dispensations of God and the advents and the birth from a virgin and the passion and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord and his manifestation from heaven in the glory of the Father to gather all things in one and to raise up anew all flesh of the whole human race in order that to Christ Jesus our Lord and God and Savior and King mm. according to the will of the invisible Father every knee shall bow of things in heaven and on earth that's against heresies this is Irenaeus, 115 to 190. He was, as a boy, he listened to Polycarp, the disciple of John. He was the Bishop of Lyons. Irenaeus, second century. This is pre-Council of Nicaea. Right. This is how the church fathers were talking about Jesus. How about Tertullian? Love Tertullian. Early Christian apologist, fought against Sabellianism, uh, ultimately. Uh, he says, we define that there are two, the Father and the Son, and three with the Holy Spirit, and this number is made by the pattern of salvation, brings about the unity and Trinity, interrelating the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three, not in dignity, but in degree, but not in substance, but in form, not in power, but in kind. They, three, uh, they are of one substance and power, because there is one God. They are of one substance and power. That's Tertullian fighting hmm. against the heresy in his day, saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are of one undivided substance. Second century Kwaku. We're not talking 325 AD. We're not talking Council Nicaea. We're talking about the early church fathers fighting for the triune God of the Holy Scriptures from the earliest stages of the Christian church. The Christian church was not muddy on this, not unclear on this. The New Testament and Old Testament are vividly clear on this point. And you see that the early Christians and apostles and the early church fathers fought very clearly for the triune nature of God. One God, three persons, one undivided substance. We could go on and on and on. Comments, guys? How about the importance of church history in terms of being able to respond to the same kinds of apostate worldviews that have existed for so long? It's right. Now, if you have that foundation underneath you, you'll realize that there's really nothing new under the sun mm. in That's terms right. of things that come against the Christian faith and That's against right. the Trinitarian God. That's right. It is more likely and more accurate that that is the closer to the true nature of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to LDS doctrine. And it's not like Joseph Smith was like, let me get those books before the Catholics got around. Let's match that. It was more so yeah. when the revelation was given and the Father and Son appeared to him, it just it became very clear. Yeah, I supplement that Jesus Christ, yeah, he was very reverent when he talked about the Father. Oh, yeah. You never saw him speaking in public as, I am equal to the Father. Yeah. You know, many people thought he was saying that when he would say, well, this is the Father's doctrine, which is my doctrine, and my doctrine is the Father. He's emphasizing the idea that they were of one purpose. Yes. And that he was on a mission. Father and I are one. Yeah. Father and I are one. 
Well, let's do it. John chapter 17, I encourage you all to go there in your Bibles. Uh, Jesus actually says all the things necessary to make himself equal with the Father. Uh, he actually tells the Father, now glorify me with yourself, with the glory that I shared with you before the, the world, world began. began. Here's Jesus saying that he shared the glory of the Father before the world began. And he tells the Father, now glorify me with yourself. Very important to note that God says in his word, I am the Lord. I don't share my glory with anyone, with any other. Uh, and yet with Jesus, uh, the glory is shared and it was shared before the world began. Uh, also, of course, yes, you see in the New Testament narrative, you see that they did understand that Jesus was glorifying himself and sharing glory with the Father. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they picked up stones right. to right. kill him. Read John chapter 10. I and the Father are one. Same passage. They pick up stones done. to kill him and they say what? It's, he says, many good works have I shown you from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, for thy good works we stone thee not, but but for blasphemy and that you being a man make yourself God. That's what they said in John chapter 10. That is the record itself. These men are not telling the truth about the biblical record. And I will say one more point. Not only does Jesus call the father God, of course, because that's exactly what the Messiah as a man must do. How would our perfect representative, how would the perfect image of God have to interact with the Father as a submissive, righteous, worshiping man? And so Jesus in his earthly ministry does that. He glorifies the Father, he worships the Father, he calls the Father God, but guess what, that's not it. If you read Hebrews chapter one, I encourage you to go there, in the Bible, Hebrews chapter one, the Father calls the Son God, mm -hmm. and he tells all the angels to worship him. Here you have in the record itself, Hebrews chapter one, the father calling the son God and telling all the angels to worship him. So it's not a problem to see Jesus calling the father God because the father also calls Jesus God because three persons, one God. Exactly. Except when he's, like you said, on the cross crying out, Abba, my father, my God. It would make no sense to be reverent towards his father and to call out in the moment of desperation to yourself. Yeah. I don't imagine. Once again, misunderstanding yeah. so, of the Trinity. So and Kwaku saying, yep. Which demonstrates, Kwaku, you do not know what you're talking about. I would just say there's much love and grace and respect and humility to you that I can, but you just simply do not know what you're talking about. And I would encourage you, truly encourage you. And I, I, I'm not saying this because I'm a Christian, because I believe that Joseph Smith's a false prophet and you're preaching a false God. And, and ultimately I see you as hostile to the truth of God. I'm not just saying this to you because I want to beat up on you in any way. I'm saying that the right thing for you guys to do here, the righteous thing for you to do here, the thing that is in accordance with truth is to pull this down. Now, I said earlier this week that I hope they don't pull it down before we do the episode because I needed to capture it still. But you should, at this point, pull this down because it is filled with mm. misrepresentations and false witness. Now, I would respect you as a Mormon if you had the integrity to say, you know, we got that wrong. We, we really actually said a lot of false things on that episode. We, we lied about the Christian church teaches. We lied about what the doctrine of the Trinity is. We made a lot of false statements. We were just in error. We'll go ahead and pull that down because we want to make sure that we at least are honoring the truth and wanting to uphold truth. I'd respect that decision. I'd strongly respect it. But as long as you keep this up, you demonstrate that you have no concern for the truth itself and that you're willing to lie about what people believe in order to make your point. And anybody who would do that is not to be trusted. 
imagine that to be something that I would do. I would call out to someone that I truly love and, and, and just want to be with, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not calling out to myself. Calling out to himself, Jesus in the garden, calling out to the Father. You think Christians believe that Jesus is calling out to himself? And yet you think you know what the doctrine of the Trinity is? That you've studied this since fifth grade? That you were raised Protestant and understand this and you didn't understand that the Bible does not teach anywhere that Jesus is the Father or that Christians anywhere have thought that Jesus is the Father? And it's just, it's totally man-centered. Yeah. Mm. It absolutely makes sense. If it wasn't God, Right. <laughs> it would make no yeah. sense for someone to call out to themselves. Mm. Right. You're absolutely right. But this, the foundation's wrong. We're not talking about, I don't know. That's not, we're not talking about you or me right. here. And, and I guess we, let's, like, we've been going for a while now. Let's go ahead and end the show. You think it's, are we? You're on about to fall out over here. So. Okay. All yeah, right. I'm, you need I'm to good eat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to get his, he needs to get his food. We'll, we are going to continue this discussion further. There's a lot more to be said on this subject. Um, but uh, I think, let me, I'm going to try to say this in as gracious a way as possible and loving a way as, as possible. Um, the the issue the issue here for us on Apologia Radio and with Apologia Church is we want to engage in meaningful right. dialogue with the Mormon community. And I want to say this right now. If I am ever guilty of misrepresenting what your prophets and apostles have actually said, then I would need to make a correction on that. But see, the way that I want to operate as a Christian and engaging with the Mormon community is I have spent, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars on Mormon materials, Mormon resources, making sure that when I represent the Mormon position, I'm representing what your prophets and apostles have actually stated and believed. And then we interact in a meaningful way so that we can get to the actual truth. We cannot get to truth when you won't even represent your opponents properly. Mm. When you actually say false things about history and what the Christian church has taught, you make it very difficult to have a dialogue. And, they, and what's at stake here is the truth. That's what's at stake. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said that he's the only way to the Father. Second Corinthians 11, verses three and four, you see that early on in the Christian church, the apostle Paul has to deal with false Christs, false gospels, false spirits that have crept into the church. And he's worried for the church in Corinth that they might even put up with these people. So having a false Christ, having a false gospel and a false spirit is not new. It's as old as the Bible itself. And so we need to get to the truth. What is the truth? Who is Jesus? Because the Mormon church teaches a different God. Kwaku said as much. He said as much on the episode that that's not his God. He doesn't believe in the God that we're teaching. So the question is, who is Jesus? Because the Jesus of Mormonism is not the Jesus of scripture. He is not. Neither is right. the Heavenly Father in Mormonism right. or the Spirit, all those different things. So we need to get to the truth of the gospel because here's the thing, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. This isn't a fear tactic. We're all going to die. Life is very, very short. It is over before you know it. I'm a grandfather now. I'm 40 years old. Before I even knew it, I can't even believe where I'm standing right now. It happens so fast. And we are going to face a real God. We're going to stand before his throne. We're going to have to give an account for our lives. And we're going to have to have a righteousness that is greater than our own. And it is not found in the God of Mormonism. The Jesus of Mormonism cannot save you. He is a false God. He is not the Jesus of, of, of Scripture. The true Jesus is not Lucifer's brother. He's the creator of Lucifer. You follow the Mormon Jesus, you will perish. You will die and you will go to hell. If you have a false gospel, you will go to hell. You will not have a righteousness that will avail before a holy God. You need a perfect righteousness that provides perfect peace with the Father. And you need the true God. 
and that is not found in Joseph Smith's false revelation of God. And so turn to Christ and live, the true Christ, the true God. Final words? Amen. Unless you believe that ego a me, you will die in your sins. That's right. Can you just give a quick thing what that, why, what, why would you say that? Because everyone needs to hear that in the context of this discussion of Mormonism. Well, ego a me, that he is the eternal God. Right. Well, the point that you just made is if you have the wrong God, false God, he can't save you. So unless you believe that Jesus is in himself, eternally God, he can't forgive your sins. You're still, you're going to die. You're going to perish. That's right. In your transgression and your iniquity because you need a perfect savior. You need God himself to be the one that doesn't count your sins against you right. ever again and counts you righteous in his sight. That's right. You need a true God, the God that can save you. The Mormon Jesus will not save you. He is a false God without question. Joy? I agree. Right on. She does. Good, good, good. Does she talk? She does. She certainly <laughs> does. Hey, we love you guys. And we're so thankful for all of you. Thank you for watching Apologia Radio. And I uh, encourage all of our new uh, viewers and listeners to go to ApologiaStudios.com. Guys, there are like 300 radio and podcast episodes there that I think will really bless you. If you haven't gone there yet, please go to ApologiaStudios.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Apologia, Stu- Apologia Radio on iTunes, get it in your, your your podcast, listen to it. Encourage you all to go and check out all the resources we have on our YouTube channel, Apologia Studios on YouTube. We have countless hours of discussions, lectures, sermons, and dialogues with actual Mormons on the street, atheists, Jehovah's Witnesses, all of that. So thank you all for watching. Please be in prayer for our ministry. Lots of big things that God is doing right now with Apologia Church. Uh, please keep us in prayer. Pray ahead of time also for our conferences in Australia and New Zealand. We're trying to equip the church out there to go preach the gospel in the context of abortion to save lives and to end abortion now all right guys god bless you guys catch you all next week